We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And if you guys will indulge me, uh, I'm going to take a couple of minutes to go through a sequence of plays in the first quarter. We started out that game. The score was 17 to 11. Starters played really well. We went big. We saw some of the good of that and how uh, in, in the ways that that can work. Uh, and then, as has been true of several of the preseason games, things totally went to crap. And this is kind of the sequence where that happened. So uh, Mello subs into the game. We've got Rondo subbed into the game. And uh, Buddy Heald hits a three-pointer on Mello. Mello switched on to him after Rondo you know, switches with him. And Mello gives everybody a little bit of extra space when guarding them because he knows he can't move that fast these days, right? But the problem is that's Buddy Heald, right? He wants that. If you do, you give him that space, he's going to be like, all right, I'm going to take this shot. And so he hits the three. Now we're up by three. Next play down, we got the ball. LeBron posts up. They kind of, they zone him up as often is often the case when on those uh, mid post wing, you know, post plays. He skips the ball to Mello on the opposite wing or on the opposite corner, and Mello attacks the closeout driving baseline and his read on that play is either to score right with the layup at the rim or LeBron on a cut or skip to Bayes in the corner LeBron cuts a little bit late and draws the help uh but we it it ends up in a turnover right and so that's going to happen those types of plays right there are part of the like lack of familiarity and timing you live with those Next time down, Rondo gets beat off of the dribble by De'Aaron Fox, who makes a nice little hesitation move, and uh, after doing a good job of chasing him off the screen, and then Melo makes a Mello makes a good rotation as a you know rim protector. He gets there in time, gets vertical, gets his hands high, but Fox still makes a layup over the top of him. That's the type of a play I don't expect Rondo to stay in front of De'Aaron Fox. I don't expect Melo to get vertical and block De'Aaron Fox's shot. You live with that considering you know the personnel. And then the next play down, LeBron dribbles the ball off of his foot, dives on the floor. Everything's kind of getting chaotic at this point. We call a timeout. When we come out of the timeout, we run a really nice sideline uh, out-of-bounds play that gets an open three for LeBron at the top of the key. We took advantage of 
uh, Sacramento was going under on all of their screens. And so Barnes goes under the screen. We use that to get uh, LeBron an open three at the top of the key, which he misses, but that's fine. Those are the types of looks. Those are winning looks. So he misses that. And then uh, on the next play, we give up a wide open three on the right corner to Davion Mitchell because of a defensive mistake by both LeBron and Bays. And LeBron grabs the rebound. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. AD grabs the rebound on the whip on the weak side, hands it over to Rondo and who takes a couple of the dribbles up court and then advances the ball to Bazemore in the corner. I'm going somewhere with all of this. I promise. Uh, so Bays, I, I want to take a quick detour real quick on our sideline breaks. Our sideline fast breaks have been one of the few real positives of this preseason. And so in that last pod, you know, we did the stats about how fast did they get the ball up court and yeah, how many times in four seconds or less or two seconds or less. On this play, even though Sacramento has all five defenders back, we have the ball to Bazemore in deep corner with 20 seconds left, left on the shot clock attacking a closeout. And so we create kind of this fast break opportunity where one does not exist. Bazemore attacks that closeout, goes to the rack, and draws two defenders, because again, all, all five defenders are back, and has Melo wide open on the skip pass, but he misses him, and tries the layup instead, gets that blocked, goes tumbling into the photographers, then we give up an open corner three to Harrison Barnes, because nobody really picks up in transition, particularly Rondo, right? So the next play down, Buddy Heald misses a, a pull-up three, and AD gets a gets a nice out-of-area rebound and outlets again on the sideline to Rondo. So we are trying to run our sideline break again. Rondo advances a little bit, sees uh, Bazemore cutting from the opposite wing, throws a nice bounce pass, and Bazemore tries a behind-the-back bounce pass to LeBron that bounces off of De'Aaron Fox's foot. And now we have another turnover. Next play, Rondo tries a 55-foot outlet pass to LeBron, who's covered on a lob. That gets deflected, and it's a turnover. So guys, where, where am I going with all of this? That was the stretch of the game where things got out of control, right? It was a good game up, up until that point. Everything was, we, we were playing well, Darius. And then we are trying to, we are trying to be agents of chaos. That is ultimately uh, the type of team that I think that this, uh, and Anthony Davis spoke to this in the postgame comments as well. The line of where that chaos can blow up in your own face, we are way past that line right now. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But in in that style of play, we've got a lot of guys who create chaos, not just for the other team, but for ourselves. And I think that that is at the center of our struggles right now. One of the things that Frank Vogel said in postgame, Mike, was, is there like, he was asked about anything encouraging to sort of take away from the team. And I think one of the first things he spoke about was was pace and tempo, right? And the idea of playing fast. And so all the way back to the seven seconds or less suns, one of the first ideas of analytics that really like caught me as something was the better, more talented team should want to play fast. And they should want more possessions in a game because the mm -hmm. more possessions you have in a game, the more opportunity you have to, to exert your talent 
supremacy over the other team. And over the course of a of 48 minutes, those extra four, five, six, eight possessions in a game, 10 possessions in, in a game that you muster should give you more of a cushion because you're more talented. And it's why I think back to like the way that those those like 04 or I'm sorry, the 05, 06, 06, 07 Lakers played those Suns in the playoffs was no, 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 no. We're not going to play fast with Steve Nash, right? And, and try to outgun you guys. We're going to slow it down, even if it means we're going to post up Kwame Brown in the mm-hmm. middle of the triangle offense, right? And it was the idea of we're going to play slow and we want to play slow because the fewer possessions there are, that means this can maybe be a one possession game or a two possession game at the end and we have Kobe Bryant. Kobe and Bryant. that was sort of the mm-hmm. idea, right? And so the Lakers want to play fast. They're a super talented team. And playing fast plays to their strengths. Playing this fast is also not natural for basically any NBA player, no NBA player Amen. really, really plays this fast on a consistent basis. It's like, That's right. it's like, like the other day, someone sent us a clip and now I'm on, now I'm down a tangent, but someone sent us a clip from a podcast and you were tagged on it, Pete. I was tagged on, on it. I don't think Mike, Mike was, but like Harrison was a bunch of like Lakers sort of writers and bloggers and, 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 and it was sort of a, a receipts message. And it was an audio recording from a podcast. I'm not going to mention it. And there was a guest and the guest was sort of speaking about like what people are saying about the Lakers and how it's not positive. But the podcast was playing at like one and a half times speed. And I don't listen to podcasts at one and a half times speed. Domin is going to call me soft right now, right? Because he's like a two, because <laughs> he's like a two times speed, speed person. Mm-hmm. And Mike, I think you listen to pods at like faster than normal speed, like one time speed. But it sounded super funny to me. Like, I'm just like, okay, like I'm trying to follow what they're saying. And I understand all of the words, but I'm not processing this very well. Right. Like because it's faster than what I'm used used to. And a part of what you're talking about, Pete, in terms of like chaos, I think the Lakers want to they want to create that chaos. They want to create it for the other team. But by playing so fast, they are creating it for themselves, too. And they are not yet comfortable playing at this speed, making decisions at this speed. Some players are LeBron. Like LeBron sees it like Neo in the Matrix. It doesn't matter how fast the game is. He sees the game developing in slow motion. It's like that's how how he plays. Kent Bazemore is probably always listening to pods at two times speed, even when like things seem fast for him all all of the time. And he is looking ahead in ways that don't always line up. And I think that that's one of the reasons why his decision making can be a little bit eh iffy to me this idea of playing fast is super interesting to me because i think the lakers want to play fast but they are very mistake prone right now and they are shooting themselves in the foot in ways that i think is costing them um and it definitely cost them in the preseason in terms of wins wins and losses because they didn't get any wins and part of it was turnovers and just suspect decision making and wanting to play fast and them not being able to I'll take a slightly different tact uh, just looking at last night's game and then how it fit in with everything else. But there, to me, this was more about there were certain groups out there that look great. 
And there were certain groupings that really struggled. And I don't know how much of that had to do only with the speed and the tempo of the game. Uh, for yeah. example, Rondo and Mello, when they were on the court together, and I think this was defensively, this wasn't because they were playing fast on offense. Uh, it was just really bad. And I think that's a mix of vets that were not necessarily going to bring this a certain a defensive attentiveness um, as others. And so, you know, like, let's see. Yes, yeah, so Rondo minus 30, Mello minus 13. And Mello was, was down there. And he, he just happened to be on the court during that big 14-0 run when it was, I think it was with LeBron and Russ and Reeves was out there for a little bit of the time, but in Dwight. And so LeBron's plus 17, like DeAndre, they were actually really good with DeAndre um, in both halves. DeAndre was plus 14, uh, 11 rebounds. He's finishing everything. He got a couple lobs, like the connection with Russ was there. They had that nice give and go section. So like, I, I'm not disputing the, the speed of play thing. Um, and I, and I do like to go faster. I am a two times a speed guy. So everything yeah, else sounds yeah. slow when you listen to it out of one. But yeah, I, I just I think like it was very positive to see them actually have a lot of success with one of their main groups and then get into they got into the bench. And like instead of playing Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk and Ellington, right you're, you're, although we, we all love Austin Reeves, like he was playing well. If you're getting into that mellow Rondo thing, which which may be a sign of, of what to look for early in the season. Yeah, part of that, Mike, is like Russ and Rondo will probably never play a meaningful minute together, right? Like Because we've got five perimeter guys, and this plays into the whole chaotic elements, right? And that's why a lineup in which we do have two bigs in it, and it's more like this is a lineup that could play, that will play, This that those lineups look good. And then when you've got these weird Frankenstein lineups for all sorts of different reasons, but mainly because of the injuries, that plays into the whole agents of chaos idea that I'm looking at from a broader perspective over the course of the entire preseason. Like, they've talked so much about the differences in the style of play and like they're doing new things on offense. They've talked a lot about pace that that takes a certain amount of getting getting used to. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the Lakers have a couple of key decisions to make in this whole idea of playing fast and, and playing this uh, this certain style of play that's conducive to the, the talents of their, their best three players. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. 
So, Darius, you made a great point about the Lakers getting used to this speed and that they're not used to making decisions at this this fast pace, right? The, before this last game, I haven't looked after the Sacramento game, but we were second in pace in the NBA this preseason, only behind the Golden State Warriors, who we played twice. And I think that if we, over the course of a season, I think that we would be, if not top top three, easily playing this way. There's one argument to be made of, you got to keep doing it to get used to it. There's no way of reading a book or watching film or discussing it and theorizing about playing fast. You have to actually go out there and play fast and be comfortable at a certain level of speed. And that only takes reps, right? That may be one of the reasons Westbrook's teams have historically gotten off to slow starts. And Westbrook does too. I think that there's a certain amount of getting used to that style of play. There's also another argument to be made of, well, we should dial it back a bit. Right. We shouldn't be so chaotic. Remember, I've always said over years of the, over the course of this podcast, my number one rule for for role players is don't make mistakes. Right. Like just do your job. You don't have to do anything special. Just don't mess it up. And so in that sequence that I described to open up the pod, you've got guys outside of the big three on this team taking these huge chances and making these you know, high risk, high reward type of plays. And that very much goes against at least my philosophy with role players. And so we're missing some guys that can kind of, you know, do more of that dirty work type of stuff. But in where do we go from here in terms of approaching going forward with this idea? Is there a, okay, we're coming up on the regular season, we need to dial it back? Or do we just need to keep doing doing this, going through the growing pains and getting used to playing at a higher speed? I mean, it's probably a little bit of both. So the way I'd, I'd explain it is like, I think they still need to keep the dial turned up a fair amount, but I do think they need to be a little bit more choosy and, and understand um, how and when to push, right? And this is why the idea of like, these dudes need to learn each other is actually this is where I I invest in that idea, right? And and it's where I'm a I'm a true believer, where I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Because sometimes people say things and I'm just like, yeah, I've been following the NBA for decades. I've heard this sound bite literally thousands of times. Right? Like you right now are doing a version of coach speak or player speak where it's just like you've dealt with the media for now probably more than half your life, right? If you're an experienced NBA player. And no offense to our buddy Mike Trudell, who is asking, I think, pertinent and important questions, but they know how to parry that stuff off, right? It's, it's just like, yeah, that's insightful and that's thoughtful. And guess what? I've given you the most stock basic answer that I possibly can that is full of cliche. Yes, nothing to be gained from being too honest. Yeah, that's right. But the thing I do believe to be true is that when they tell us it's going to take time, it's not just them sort of trying to prop up or set up expectations for us or, or tell us something where it's just like they can look good in the end, right? Where it's just like, oh, it's going to take a bunch of time. And then suddenly on next week, 
<laughs> right? Things look pristine and they're just like, ah, yeah, look how great we are. Like, I, I don't think that's what's going on here. I think they actually do need to learn each other more. And some of that learning is that in-play decision-making that comes from feel and understanding of how you move together as a group on the floor playing a flow sport like basketball, right? And there really is an energy on the floor where guys connect and they understand what is supposed to happen based off of who they're playing with, the tenor and tone of the game, and, and what is required of them in this specific moment based off of game situation, time, clock, score, all of this other stuff, teammates. And the overall big, bigger picture is what is our philosophy and, and how do we want to play? And all almost all, all of those variables are new for this team right now. And there are moments where it clicks and it looks great. And there are a bunch of moments where it's like, Bazemore, why didn't you take that layup? Why the hell would you try a behind the back in the, in, in, in the air behind the back bounce pass to a trailing LeBron? Even the play that you highlighted earlier, Pete, with, with Mello, the right read there isn't that drop-off pass to Braun. Braun's cutting because he thought he saw the opening. The right read is shoot the damn ball or kick to the corner. It's like an either-or. And all these guys, some of these guys are still sort of just like, well, no, look, there's all of these options. And no, on any given play, there looks like there's a bunch of options, Pete, but there's really not. There's really only one or two options, and those options get scaled down based off of familiarity and understanding and knowing, right? And the best teams understand it's one or two reads. It's not five or six reads. So I want to get back to something that Vogel said after the game, the, basically the first thing that he said, and I asked him about Russ. And he said, quote, I thought we could slow it down a little bit in the paint in terms of this finishing and getting to his pivot some, end quote. Now, he mostly was praising Russ as well he should because it was his best game. And I thought the, the thing that really worked for Russ was that the way Sacramento was playing him early just went straight to the rim, took De'Aaron Fox. You're not big enough, pushed him out of the way, almost literally on the first possession and went and finished. And then later in the game, he missed a couple of open layups. But that's what Russ does. We've talked about that before. So that's not I don't think that has anything to do with the team wanting to play really fast and Russ going too fast. Russ is just going to miss some some of those sometimes. And Bazemore is also going to do some stuff uh, like what he did. And Carmelo Anthony kind of played like Carmelo Anthony plays. So there there are some things, though, that Russ Russ is breaking some habits from the first couple of games which I thought was really positive, which is be more aggressive. Don't overpass. He only had three turnovers uh, in this one. And, you know, I don't know if there are some other guys that I don't know if they're changing their games to fit this team yet. Uh, we'll see if that happens. But that alone with Russ is a positive sign uh, and going into the regular season opener. And then, guys, for AD, AD just couldn't hit a shot. But other, like, and that, to me, had a lot to do with what the scoreline ends up being, too, because the times when they were getting hurt was when LeBron was on the floor and AD was kind of carrying or trying to carry the offense and was missing everything. Sacramento was going back on the other side of the court with Rondo and Melo not getting back and scoring. And so it, that's just, those are some, some obvious points I thought I saw uh, from being there yesterday that I think will, will get better as the regular season starts.
Yeah, this was Russ's best game by far, and he's been progressively kind of shaking the rust off. What's unfortunate about these lineups, like like you were saying earlier, Micah, those lineups where uh, you know you got Rondo and Westbrook on the court, and you got Rondo and Melo on the court together in kind of a preseason intensity, is it can kind of obscure some good things that have been happening over the last couple of games, especially and Russ looking more like Russell Westbrook, which is not to say that he's not going to make some turnovers in transition. That comes with kind of that increased pace and style of play. He's going to miss some layups, right? Like you said, Bazemore is going to make some interesting decisions and that's going to be a uh, continuing conversation throughout the year but are groups that could kind of play together or are less unconventional like we would never play that lineup type of groups look pretty good with respect to Russ in particular D I thought we saw a flicker of how Russ can be used off of the ball Mike described how he bumped off De'Aaron Fox on that first play it was on a ball screen and he was driving toward an occupied dunker spot with DeAndre Jordan and so but because Fox went under, he just put a little shoulder into him and bumped him off, sends him flying out of bounds. That's a layup at the rim by himself. But the next play, he scored the, the second basket for us as well. We set a little brush screen and he cut across the lane while we had AD and DeAndre Jordan lifted. Now, Rashawn I think Holmes AD should- was in. I think AD was in left corner and DeAndre was lifted up above the elbow. Or maybe I'm misremembering, but there was much better spacing and the paint was cleared. They did not have a dunker spot That's occupied right. on that, right? And and in going under the screen while chasing Russ, and this is what I want to talk to you about is LeBron especially can facil- facilitate actions for Russ to really take advantage of strength advantages over smaller guards. That's one thing I really loved how we put Russ in a position to be like, oh, De'Aaron Fox, who has put on some some bulk, right? He's noticeably a little bit bigger, but he's not big enough to handle Russ. And so leveraging Russell or le- leveraging Russ's strength advantage over over most guards is something that's going to be critical to getting the most out of him, especially in half court. Just a quick point to to toss either back to you or Darius on that. I because I asked the Walton before the game about the backcourt because they're starting Halliburton now next to Fox. It's the same thing that Portland does with Lillard and McCollum, Utah to an extent with Conley and Mitchell. And like basically, can you survive with a small backcourt? Something we've talked about a lot. And Luke was like, well, if you defend and rebound, then you can. But he kind of gave the butt there, but it's clearly problematic. And and so there are multiple matchups uh, in the Western Conference that the Lakers are going to see four yes, times, mm-hmm. where, right? Where where Russ should have that that concept that you just talked about, Pete. Russ is going to have a physical advantage over his defensive player if it's another point guard 75, 80% of the time. Off the top of your head, Drew Holiday is maybe a guy who physically matches up well with Russell Westbrook. You usually have to put a bigger guy on him. You got to, in like, if you watch playoff series on Russ, almost always that team is going to be like, oh, Danny Green, yes. your job is to no, guard Russell like Westbrook, when, right? Like, when they were with OKC, oh, it was Simmons, just like... Yeah, it was one of the exactly. few that's just, yeah. Yeah, right. when it was those OKC Warriors matchups that were, um, that were like high leverage games, it was Clay Thompson. The entire thing to me about Russ off off of the ball is he seems they've been doing this with Rondo in the game too, like where Russ has not been bringing the ball up as much. And like, I'm with that and I'm not right. Like there. So when he's in the game with with LeBron, sure. Right. Like let Russ play off the ball a little bit more. When 
Russ is in the game, though, and LeBron is not in the game. I'm probably going to want Russ to have the ball. And I know that some of this is just like, well, we don't necessarily want Rondo off the ball, but I, like Rondo's a Rondo's a good enough he's shooter. He's become a decent spot up guy. Yeah, yeah he's, he's better to have off the ball than, than Russ is. Some of this is, too, is like there's a part of me, too, where it's like Frank Vogel's comments about we, these are practice games, and so we want to use the games to practice. And part of having Rondo is sort of like, even though he's not LeBron, he can sort of like mimic LeBron in a way, right? Where it's sort of like, okay, well, you go out there and act like LeBron. You can bring the ball up. You can play from the same spots on the floor. Like, oh, let's run this elbow set. And we're going to entry to Rondo and we're going to do some off ball work. Like all of that stuff is sort of the same, right? And so it it could make sense to say, okay, Russ, well, Rondo's in the game. He's going to play like LeBron. We're going to have you run around in, in the same, same way. But I'd still rather probably have Russ like creating in, in those instances. I think the Lakers are going to need to be big picture. They're going to need to be more intentional with actions and sets that are like two or three pet actions with Russ off off the ball. Like these are the things we want to try to get to, right? Like we want to try to get to this. That play that he had with DeAndre where, and the Lakers have run this. They, they ran it with. Oh yeah, let's talk about that play. They run it with AD and Rondo a bunch where it's like post entry and then and then sprint cut off of the post entry by the guy who threw the pass and in to a dribble handoff. Right. And Rondo and AD run this a bunch and AD's gotten a couple of lobs from it. He's also gotten a couple of pocket passes and 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 gone into his floater. Russ ran that with DeAndre and it turned into that great little like touch pass sequence where that was a different action. Oh, was it? Okay. But yeah, that was a different. Action. So what that was, no, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 please explain, explain. Because I, I just think that getting Russ off of the ball and into movement where he can sort of play two man game, that's a good action for him where he doesn't all, where he doesn't have to start with the ball necessarily, right? Where he's not creating sure. something with the ball in his hands, but please explain. Sorry for the, the interjection. He started that play off with the ball. And what happened is they went under the screen as mm. they had been going. And this is a way to like, how do you counter unders? I was having a conversation with Alex Regla the other day about this, who you should be following if you're a Laker fan that's really into the the weeds of, of how basketball works. Um, and he, we were talking about like, well, how do you counter? Pete, a, Pete are, you, are you really into the weeds of how basketball works? I hope so. I mean, maybe okay, I'm just okay. lost in, in some wilderness <laughs> elsewhere. Sometimes I travel from one place to the other, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying, though. I'm trying to be there. Uh, and so... <laughs> I think you're there. I think you're I, good. I, yeah, I okay. You're okay, cool. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that validation, yeah. And so... This is a, this is going to be a, an issue, especially in the half court offense. Whether wh- whomever starts at the five, whatever spacing we have is Dunker's spot occupied or not, teams are going to go under screens on Russell Westbrook because... Obviously. So how do you counter that? And one of the ways that you do that is to rescreen, meaning that if you're trying to send and if if memory serves, we were trying to go middle with Russ on that and they went under. And so DeAndre Jordan changed his screening angle from I'm going to send you middle to I'm going to send you toward the baseline. And when that freed up a little bit of space and that's when he passed it to Jordan 
right? And dumped it off to him then. And then that's when that ha- like that sequence that you described happened off of an initial ball screen with Russ. And so it was, this is how we attack unders most effectively on that side pick and roll type of action. I'm glad that you explained that more because I'd remembered it differently, but it's like, my bigger point is those side, those side pick and rolls where we can get the ball handler going baseline or dribble handoff or handoff situations off of that post entry where now the ball is into the guard's hands, traversing the sideline and the big man basically going towards the front of the rim. Right. Those are sequences where I feel like you can leverage you can really leverage Russ because he is dynamic enough and physical enough to bump off a guy in order to then get to the front of the rim himself and finish. He is a creative enough passer to throw the pocket pass or to throw the lob or to penetrate further, draw more help and then dish off. And he is excellent at picking out shooters both in the corner and at the top of the key with whip passes in order to set up an open three and this idea of activating russ in ways where he's not just dribbling the ball 35 feet away from the basket because that's not going to be the lakers offense they have too many other dynamic offensive players you want other guys to touch the ball particularly ad and lebron and finding actions that work for russ to get him in situations where he can be effective i think are not only super important but because they're so important and he's the most i don't want to say limited but let's just use that word limited of the three stars I think being more intentional with him is important as well. So I don't want to get any further into the pod without mentioning what I think is still the most important thing for the Lakers and the thing that that is sort of, I think we expected, but it's still nice to see. And that's that LeBron James hasn't lost a single step. Amen. Somehow. He looked great. AD's look great for most of this preseason too. Like it's funny with all of the 0-6 record and, and all of that, like there were, there were these bright spots for sure. Yeah, but LeBron being at that level is the quickest path to the finals. It's the quickest ticket to the finals. You just got to have everything else fit alongside. And, and I think that a lot of these pieces will do so. But, you know, he's he's hitting threes. He's hitting his free throws. He's getting to the rim when he wants to. He's got all his mid-range stuff going already. The the turnaround shot for him has been looking money, uh, which is something that I've seen him do a lot in, in these little mini portions of practice we get to look at and before the games and stuff. And, you know, again, they're plus 17 when he's on the floor. And yes, they have to keep getting better when he's not, but he's going to be on the floor a lot. And Russell Westbrook's presence didn't detract from LeBron's line other than maybe a couple more assists, a couple more rebounds. And he won't, you know, he won't shoot 60% every night, but dial that down to 50% and he's right. It is regular average of 25, you know? And so that's, that to me, it's not, I don't think we're at this point, none of us are going to take the leap to assume that LeBron's not going to stay there until we see it like in the opposite way, Darius, that you sometimes need to see something like yeah. I need to see him lose a step before I'm going to assume it's going to happen. And he hasn't. And and that's uh, quite important. Mike, how, how are you feeling going into this season? We've been in the weeds for so much of this pod, but we've finished the preseason. Um, We've, we've talked about all, so many of the details just going into the year. Where where's your head at? Well, I'll, I'll just connect it with that last point I just made. As long as LeBron looks like that, I still if I'm somebody that's covering the Lakers or a fan of the Lakers, I'm feeling pretty good. 
And Anthony Davis physically looks good. Westbrook got better from the first preseason game to the next one. And we saw some we saw enough signs from guys like Monk and Nunn, right, to to almost extrapolate how that's gonna look in the regular season. So I I think that it's it was a little bit rockier in the preseason than I expected, but it makes sense as to why. And I would say that my in watching a lot of other preseason games and watching some other teams play, some other teams in the West certainly look good, but there wasn't a team out there that that I thought, yeah, they if everybody's playing their best, I'm picking that team to beat the Lakers four times. So that's a long way of saying I feel just about the same as I did when the roster got put together. How about you, do? Where are you at? I'm going to take a little bit more of a pessimistic view from the standpoint of the defense just isn't there. And I'm worried about the defense. I'm worried about the defensive talent that's on the team. I have seen strides made, and those strides have been encouraging to me. But over the course of five defensive plays, I'm seeing... Like, it's usually three or four where I see something that's just like, oh, that's not good, right? And then it's, and there were, in the first couple of games, you might see stretches where it's five defensive possessions and, oh man, I just saw five straight defensive possessions where that's not good, right? And then it's just like, okay, well, a couple games later, it's like, okay, well, now it's four. And now it's like, four three it's right progress yeah so bad basketball and unless you were once a good team together you don't go from bad basketball to good basketball overnight it's exactly that it's like oh we used to have six mistakes in this interval and now it's four and eventually you start whittling that down so i said this online the other day or last night actually actually in regards to the lakers big three this was their best game as individual players and that's important Right. And so this was after Mm -hmm. the first half. And so AD ended up not being able to make a shot in the entire second half. And that skewed his that skewed his line. But I was mostly happy with the types of shots that he was getting and taking uh, like the the jumper is going to come, come and go. He missed a lot of paint shots, which are shots that he normally will not miss. Right. And so like they were hard shots. They were hard shots. But Anthony Davis has made a living off of making hard shots, right? It's Those like contorting floaters. Like, and, yeah, yeah, the floaters, the soft touch. Like he backheeled a couple of like, like he backheeled a jump hook. He backheeled a like a floater that, where he was getting downhill. He had like a three foot, like half finger roll, half scoop that back rimmed, right? It's like, okay, if those three shots fall, he's eight for 14 instead of five for 14 or whatever. Yeah, it is. Like, I, th- I think he finished five for five for 18 right? He makes those shots and he's eight for 18. And that's still not a great Anthony Davis night, but that's like, okay, well, you shot 44% instead of like 28% or 32%, and right? With, and with all of the other things that he does, right? That, yes. Yeah. You, yeah. And, but the defensive stuff is, and maybe I've been infested with Frank Vogel mind here, but it's the defensive stuff that is going to allow this team to be at its best. Russ said this after the game that we played better defense in the second half. Like we had like a 34 and a 37 point quarter allowed or 35 and 36 points. He's like, in the second half, we got that down to 21, 24. And he's like, that's what we need. We need stops because stops are going to allow us to run. And that's, that's the whole idea there. Russ isn't dumb. People can question 
his decision making at times or, or what types of plays that he makes at the end of games or whatever. You're going to read a lot about that this year, but he understands what's important and and what needs to happen. And it's still the defense for me. And like, yeah, there's a lot of injuries, but I still wonder where the defense is going to come from outside of like two or three core lineups that the team can play. And there is two or three core lineups are important and that's a foundation, but I need to see a little bit more and it's not quite there for, for me yet. So I'm encouraged, I'm optimistic, but there's a pessimism underneath that, especially related to the defense for me. So just to account for that quickly, if you're just watch those preseason games, there's no question like the defense, right, was hugely problematic. What I'm trying to extrapolate is that all of the vets are going to play with more attentiveness and more energy um, on defense. And that's not going to eliminate some of the mistakes, Darius. Yeah. So that, like I'm not going all the way. I'm not saying that they're going to be the best defense in the league by any means. And they don't have a guy that they can come in. Up, like it's not going to be Caruso who's coming in off the bench instead of Rondo for those minutes, which alone would have changed the defense against Sacramento. Right. So they're they don't necessarily have that, but they at least have Kendrick Nunn, who who is a guy that coming from Miami, who plays a very system defense. Like once he figures out Frank Vogel's system, he should be pretty good. Because he's got some physical skills, he battles, right? He tries to get over screen. So you you make that change, and then just even a little bit like that, you're going to get more effort from Russ. You're definitely going to get more attentiveness from LeBron on defense. AD is going to be is going to be better. I um, mean, he's been pretty good. So I'm I'm counting on some of those things happening in the regular season to mitigate uh, what what we've seen so far. But you're not wrong. Like watching these preseason games, of of course, the defenses stood out in that sense. I'm struck by the degree to which we have reimagined the team um, through we talked so much over the summer about like building around Russ's strengths and that push in pace. We were 16th in, in pace last year, and I'll be stunned if we're not top three this season. And we see kind of the, the first bits of that. And in that process, that reimagining, that restructuring, you're asking different players to do different things. And so we are starting way more on a ground floor now as a result of that. And I think that a slow start is, is certainly possible as a result of that. But I think the ceiling of what they're going for is high. It's going to take time. And I think that that's something that everyone's emphasizes that it's going to take some time, D. So forget the ground floor, Pete. Like, the foundation of a sturdy structure starts underground. Like you don't build like you don't build a house and say like, oh, we're just sticking it on a slab of concrete. Right. Like you go into the ground and you go underneath the ground in order to set a foundation. And that's what the Lakers are trying to do right now. And so all of these other teams with a bunch of continuity, the the, the almost every other team. Besides the Lakers, I think the Lakers are probably the team that has the least amount of continuity in the entire league coming into this season in the entire league. And that's for sure true amongst teams that are supposed to be competing for a championship. And so yeah. it's going to look different for them. And the familiarity is not quite there yet. And that work 
that they need to do has been acknowledged by everyone. So from an optimism stand standpoint, that's where my optimism lies, is that they have the talent and they have the ability. It's just a matter of pushing forward. But your point about defense and defensive personnel is also something that I that was reinforced, right? I We're hopefully not going to have five perimeter guys out at any given time and playing these funky lineups. Um, but I, I think I still think that we're one guy short defensively, especially the THT and Ariza injuries providing those are the two guys outside of LeBron James that provide size on the wing. And so losing both of them, I think, really uh, in terms of the execution of the concept of this team, one or the other I thought was going to start, honestly. So defensively in the short term, we are we're shorthanded, but in the long term, there's still things that we can do. I'm really going to be looking toward none. I'm so glad you brought him up. That ability to fight over screens and all of that, Mike, uh, that's that's something that he's going to be really important in this rotation. And But we've got a lot of work to do. Um, we will be back on Monday to uh, preview the season. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.